James Harden's going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... Wilson paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 Find a home. So, he probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free agency. I think agency. he could have got a lot more in the offseason. Wow. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, No question. What's going on, party people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own, the Bird Rights Podcast. So we saw a very exciting um, draft lottery last night. So... Draft season is upon us, so who better to bring on than Stone Hansen from the Upside Swing podcast? Stone, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, again, thank you for coming on. So we basically want to just do a first-round mock draft with we'll do the 30 teams, and then we'll just go back and forth. So, Stone, do you want to have the pleasure of going first? Uh, Sure. We'll, we'll start it off. We'll kick it off. Okay, uh, so the Orlando Magic. All righty. I'm going to go – this is a, a fit I've been wanting for a long time, so I'm going to go with Chet Holmgren here. Um, okay. I've wanted to see him and Wendell together for a long time. Uh, I think defensively it's a pretty dynamic pairing. Um, both of them are above-average passers for their position. Uh, I think both of them can maybe not be super high volume but high – uh, decent efficiency from outside. They can both space the floor a bit, so there's not a lot of a ton of paint clogging or anything. Although both are great finishers, so uh, I'm going to go with Chet here at number one. Yeah, and Orlando. People forget this is the same front office. Not only did they draft Mobamba, so they like you know the tall and long guys, but this is the same front office that drafted Giannis in Milwaukee with John Hammond. So you know he he fits that type, and obviously most people know that. Holmgren and Jalen Suggs have that connection from playing in high school together in Minnesota. So, few things lead me to believe it's going to be Chet, but with number two, the Oklahoma City Thunder, I'm going to take the best player available on my board, at least, even above Holmgren, and that's Jabari Smith Jr. Um, He's one of the best shooting big man at 18 years old that I've ever seen. I mean, Stone and I are relatively on the young side, so we haven't, you know, been doing this forever. Like, we're not seasoned NBA scouts by any means, but I mean, can you remember really a big man at 18 years old that is as good of a shooter as he is? Uh, I cannot. I know. I know. People, I kind of put you on the spot, but n- yeah, uh, I think probably the guys, the guy that comes closest for me would be Michael Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, in high school, he was a, a fantastic shooter, and in, in leading up through, uh, although he had his injuries, um, I think it was a different kind of player though. But Jabari as a shooter, it's it's pretty. It is wild, um, just the shots that he takes and makes. Um, and, you know, it's having that on a team like Oklahoma City who needs both shooting and defense is a, uh, a fantastic fit, I think, there. Yeah, and again, very versatile defender for a 6'10 guy. Um, I-, I know that you guys aren't big on comps usually, but I, I just I envision him being like a taller Paul George with just his defensive versatility, his ability to knock down shots, tough shot maker. So, yeah. yeah. I think the uh, probably the biggest difference would just be the uh, the handle. I mean, yeah. Paul George, uh, that, that's really the biggest knock on Jabari in this draft cycle so far is just he can't get himself into the paint. Uh, but at his age, you know, that's something you just you hope develops long-term and you're sort of taking that bet. And OKC, you said they, they need big men. We've seen them with SGA. We've seen them with Josh Giddy. We've seen them, Lou Dort. So, you know, a Jaden Ivy type would have been, again, if he's best player available, you do it. But it definitely would have been a little bit repetitive. So Jabari Smith, love that fit there. So number three, who do you want with the Houston Rockets? Uh, I'm going to make my co-host, Cooper, very happy here and take uh, Paolo Banquero. Uh, I think that he... Uh, provides a really nice duo with Jalen Green. Both of them pair very nice offensively, I believe. Uh, Paolo is somebody that you can give the ball to him as a big, and he can sort of run some of your offense. Uh, I don't really have too many concerns with the shooting, although I know some people do. 
Um, I think defensively is more where your concerns lie, especially with the other parts of the the roster in Houston. But um, offensively, I think it's it's a home run. And I mean, Houston, they don't have a true point guard. I'm a little bit skeptical on, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. being the long-term fifth there. So I think Paolo, I know he's a six foot 10 power forward, but he's probably going to be the best passer on that team from day one. Yeah, uh, probably, honestly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, number four, we have the Sacramento Kings. The Kings are one of the teams that moved up. I think they were projected at seven, I believe it was, but... They're at number four, and this is a prime spot where I actually think a trade down could happen, just because there's nothing wrong. My, my pick here is Jay, um, Jaden Ivey. I, I have nothing wrong with the pick. I actually have Ivey number two on my big board. I, I love the speed. I love the length. I love the athleticism. He reminds me of like a Donovan Mitchell type, and, and that that's great. But I just maybe playing with De'Aaron Fox would help him because there's some skepticism I've seen with. Ivy maybe not being able to be a lead guard. I mean, I think he will be in due time. Obviously, he's a pretty young for a sophomore right now. But, I, I mean, if you do pair him with De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell, that's going to be the fastest transition team in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little bit lower on Ivy than than a lot of people. Um, but I, I think for the Kings, it makes sense. I, I think he'll be viewed by most front offices as the best player available at number four. So being able to take that in, whether that's a value for your team or you just think that you can move him uh, for more because of who he is and how teams perceive him, uh, I think that's a fine pick there. And he's somebody I'm actually starting to, as I go into like a second wave of watching his film, uh, become a little bit more interested in than I, than I previously was. Okay, then number five, we have the Detroit Pistons. So um, who do you like for them? Uh, man, this is... Uh, this is where it uh, gets difficult. It is where it gets difficult, and this is also where I think a lot of Pistons fans are going to not like me, but I'm going to go with A.J. Griffin here at number five. Um, for me, it's the best player available on my personal board. Uh, I know uh, for many, that's probably not where they would have him, but I think that uh, we talked earlier about how nuclear of a shooter um, Jabari Smith is. And I think AJ Griffin is even more so Um, he's uh, from every level, AAU uh, high school and now collegiately has been like 40% or better, um, which is just not something you really see a ridiculous shooter. Um, And I think that there was more to his game than he was able to show at Duke partly due to context and roster construction, also partly because he was coming off of some pretty uh, gruesome injuries. So uh, I think there's more untapped potential for A.J. Griffin than than people probably believe. Yeah, and I mean, I've been torn. Uh, number six with the Indiana Pacers, I'm going to take um, Shaden Sharp. But I, I've just been, when I'm going through my big board, I'm really trying to decipher the two. I mean... Sharp, I don't think is the level of shooter Griffin is, but he definitely has length. He's athletic. There's a lot of things to like, but again, we haven't. We we've seen Griffin play at a high level when he started, you know, bringing it on for Duke towards the end of the year. But this is a guy who missed uh, the beginning of his freshman year at Duke. I believe he missed his entire um, senior year in high school because he was training with his dad in Florida. So. In that aspect, I suppose they're all pretty similar, and just we haven't really sure we've seen um, AJ Griffin play in March Madness and ACC tournament and all, but it's it's not a very large sample size. Yeah, definitely, and I get that. There's um, room for skepticism there, and you know, with Jaden, we haven't really seen him play either for like you said in a while. So, um, I understand why people view them similarly and i think it's a pretty hot debate on you know twitter or or anywhere you look but uh personally it's not super close for me because i think um the aj sees the game in a different way than shaden does and i think i just buy into that more in um for the pacers i I was thinking of like again we're gonna talk about these guys anyway but i was thinking like a keegan murray because they, they're not really, really tanking. Well, they'll 
trying to just get high upside guys. Like Keegan Murray could contribute now with you have Halliburton, you have Drogdon, you have Duarte, you have Miles Turner. You have guys that you could compete for a playoff spot next year. So I, I, I erred on the side of caution and still went with Sharp. Just because what? I believe this is Indiana's second pick in the top nine since, what, 1989? So I, I don't know if they're going to be in position to get that caliber of upside player again. So that's ultimately why I went with Sharp. I know the concerns of the lack of high-level play, but, you know, you guys are called upside swings. You Sometimes you got to <laughs> make that swing. So Yeah, for sure. And uh, I... I have them actually both those two. They're lower on my board, but close to closer together. So um, yeah, I get that. And and also Indiana just has tons of bigs. So I think um, even though Keegan can space the floor, uh, you're you're probably set positionally there. Um, let's see. I'm up with Portland. The Portland. Yeah. Okay. So this isn't best player on my board, but because he's in the same tier as the the. We're now in the tier on my board of, of uh, pretty similar level guys. I'm going to go with Jalen Duran here um, for Portland. Uh, I think that uh, I like Nurkic a lot. I don't know if Portland does, and I don't know if Nurkic likes it in Portland. Um, I think Duran is a guy who has a good mix of uh, – I feel very, very safe about Duran being a um, starting center in the NBA – uh, and I think that there's potential for him to be, you know, that all-star level possibly uh, eventually. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm going to take him here. And I think that um, as somebody that can anchor your defense, which Portland we all know needs, um, and somebody uh, that's a very good passer and a very good roller, uh, probably my favorite pick and roll player in this in this draft. Uh, I'm going to go with Jalen Duran. And a lot, well, not skepticism, but a a lot of intel coming out of Memphis with Duran was that, okay, he hasn't played with a point guard because clearly, like a true point guard, because the Imani Bates experiment hasn't really worked. So this is a guy who reclassified, should be a senior in high school right now. He took the jump. He's one of the youngest players, I think the youngest in the draft just about. Um, And as a result, not playing with a point guard as a rolling big man, that's going to affect your play. So... I mean, you can't do much better than Damian Lillard. So I like that fit. I think <laughs> yeah. he would definitely thrive. And, you know, Juice of Nurtricks are free agent. I don't know what they do with him, but he, he was a groomsman in Dame's wedding. I know that. So as long as Dame's though, they might keep Nurtrick around. But, but yeah, yeah I, I definitely like that fit. So number eight, we have the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, This is a weird one. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Benedict Mathurin. Nice. He's highest um, on my board. Yeah. So I, I know they just did get a bunch of bigger wings with Herb Jones and Troy Murphy. And so uh, maybe he's a little bit repetitive, but I mean, the, you can't have too much wing depth in the NBA. I, I don't like like a Keegan Murray type because sure he could give shooting next to Zion, but you, then you have one of them, you know, you have to play small, you have to play big. Um, he seems like more of a seamless fit. I mean, Brandon Ingram's not a knockdown shooter, so Mathorne's not a knockdown, but Mathorne's a significant, a better shooter than Brandon Ingram is, in my opinion. So I I do think they improve the wing depth, they improve the shooting, and yeah, and he's just about the highest on my board. So I'm going with um, Benedict Mathorne. Yeah, uh, and after the past couple of drafts between him, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, they have a lot of nice wings there. Ingram, like you said, uh, there's a lot of nice wings there. Um, so, and, and you know, being able, you can never go wrong with a guy who is a plus positional defender. And in my opinion, I think he's a, a really like nuclear shooter. But um, you know, having that skill set is you can't go wrong with having too many of those guys. Yeah, and again, maybe I, I want to say maybe they need a guard, but like they have, they just trade for CJ McCollum. They have Jose Alvarado. They have Devontae Graham. It's not like they don't have anybody. So, yeah. so they, they don't really have a pressing need for that compared to what most lottery teams are working with. So, number nine, you're up with the San Antonio Spurs. Oh, boy. Mm. Spurs are another weird one. Uh, they have so many 
Gardy, wing guy, so many Benedict Matherin sized guys um, on that roster. I'm going to go with Jeremy Sohan here. Uh, okay. I have him ranked even higher than this. I'm super in on him. I think he's uh, my favorite off-ball defender in this class. Uh, very, he sees the game very well. Very um, intelligent. The way he positions himself on both ends. Um, not the best shooter currently. Uh, actually, currently a bad shooter. But I believe that there is um, room for that to become hopefully near league average. Uh, I think that he's still super young too, one of the youngest in this class. Um, so I, I'm really in on Sohan and as like a six eight six nine guy who can handle pass. Uh, he's not a complete nothing on offense either. Yeah, and you know, as you said, the passing ability, the lack of shooting, he fits. Uh, again, uh, I'm not big on comps myself, but like um, Scotty Bones is... I think the best you could get because not only do they compare favorably measurement wise and like a bigger point forward who can really shoot, but the shots developing a little bit, but I mean, this time last year, like the day after the lottery, Scotty Bonds was projected what? Maybe like he was the lottery, but what was he like nine to 14? He, he wasn't a top five pick and he rose up the draft board because Toronto fell in love with him. I could see a team doing the same thing with SoCan. So yeah, that's the hope. <laughs> That is the hope. So, number 10, we have the Washington Wizards. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my reaction every time I... Um, I, I just, I wish I knew. You guys are going to hear about it when I release my mock offseason. I'm doing, as I said, a six-part article where I'm projecting basically every trade, every free agent signing. I'm incorporating my mock draft. So, you have every team's 15-man roster, my projection at the end of the, um, at the beginning of the season. Washington, I don't know. I think Bradley Beal leaves. And if that's the case, if they even suspect he's going to leave, they're going to need to replace him. So, I mean, look what happened with the Hornets with Kemba Walker. He left, and they had nothing to show for because they didn't trade him at the deadline. So, at least if you could draft a replacement, I, I want to go with – I know I keep cheating by taking two guys in a way. But <laughs> if Beal's staying, I would say I'm going with Dyson Daniels because they desperately need a point guard there. They finish the year with who, Ish Smith and Hull Neto. So, uh, again, I know he's not like a point guard's point guard, but he could definitely handle, he could defend, he does a lot of things well. Um, but I'm actually going to go with Johnny Davis because of the fact that I think Bradley Beal is going to leave. Excellent. I uh, <laughs> I was hoping you'd take Johnny Davis because, number one, I have Dyson Daniels higher on my board. But number two... I actually like Johnny Davis more in Washington than I do Dyson Daniels because even if Bradley stays, I think Johnny Davis can fit totally fine in that context. Um, really plus defender at the guard position. Uh, probably the best strength creation in this class. Um, I think that uh, he's a he knows exactly where his spots are on the court. Uh, unfortunately, most of them aren't beyond the arc. But when he does get to his spots in the mid range or in the paint, uh, very good at finishing him, very good footwork, um, underrated passer too, which is something I think he can develop. So uh, I like the fit, whether it's with or without Beal, and I think Johnny Davis is sort of the perfect guy for that. Okay, so then we have number eleven, the New York Knicks. Um, same thing, I. For a team that's in the lottery, I mean, they do have some depth. Like, I mean, on the wing, they have R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish. Point guard, they don't have a solidified guy yet, but you hope Emmanuel Quickly's that guy. Meanwhile, you have Derrick Rose as a holdover. For bigs, you have Julius Randle and Obi Toppin. If you bring back Mitch Robinson, no one's Noel. So, I mean, none of those guys are going to preclude you from drafting the best player available, I think. So, what what do you think the Knicks do here? Hmm. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go Dyson here. Um, okay. The guy the guy you passed up. I think Dyson provides for the Knicks a lot of things that they don't have. A guy who can play both ways. Um, somebody who can defend uh, the perimeter at a very high level. Um, I think he is capable of scaling up or scaling down depending on what you need, uh, which is a huge um, attractive part of his game to me. Uh, and I think that he, towards as the season progressed for the G League Ignite, uh, became a more um, comfortable playmaker, 
for others and uh, a better pastor and seeing more um, with his vision. So uh, I like the trajectory of his development. And I think uh, getting a guy who's six, seven and a half, who just measured today, uh, that can handle the ball, pass and defend. Um, and you sort of hope that that shot develops into an average, uh, which I think it can because he has really nice touch on floaters and uh, finishes well. So uh, I think he is sort of the total package, just nothing really at it at a super elite level. Okay. So then, and as you said, a high floor, not the highest ceiling type guy, but I mean, the bus potential is minimal uh, in, in my opinion with Dyson. If, if you're the Knicks, you gotta, you gotta hit something at yeah. this point. <laughs> so, okay. Number 12, we have the OK, uh, the Oklahoma city thunder. We have them taking Jabari Smith jr. Number two, but despite that, I mean, they really need to go best player available. I don't think they're as far off in the rebuild as they appear. I just think people think, oh, they have, what, 17 first-round picks in the next seven years and 37 overall in the next seven years. So people think they're tanking hard, which, yeah, they are. But I wouldn't be shocked if this team's competing, maybe not next year, but the following year. So I, I do think that they should just go after the best player available, even if it is repetitive with Jabari, who they took at number two. And Keegan Murray is what I, this is what I feared would happen and will happen with him. If he doesn't go to like Indiana at six or Portland at seven, I think he's going to fall. And to no fault of his own, I think Keegan Murray is a fine player. But I, I just, I envision, unless one of those two teams take him, he's not a seamless fit. He's older, so he's older compared to a lot of these guys. So the upside's not as immense. And just for all those reasons, I just I don't see a lot of these teams that aren't competing in the lottery taking a swing when they could take a higher upside guy. So because of that, I think OKC gets a steal with Keegan Murray at 12. You could pair him with Jabari Smith, who really have shooting um, on the perimeter out of your big men. I could see them probably playing a small ball lineup. Both those guys are pretty versatile defenders. I think both of them could probably play up to the five, depending on the matchup. And yet, you know, you play that two-forward, three-guard lineup with Giddy, Dord, and SGA. Shout out to my man Poku. I apologize you're not included <laughs> in that lineup, but all of a sudden, you know, you're working with something there. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm lower on both of these guys than where they're talked about, but together on OKC I really like how it fits together especially with Shea and Giddy um, I think that uh, you you really need shooting when those are your two guards and both these guys at the positions that they play providing that is super valuable so being able to play a massive lineup of Shea, Giddy, Jabari and, and Keegan those four and you know whoever you want as your fifth guy um, that, that right there is a really core four that I think you can build around moving forward. Okay, so then we have the Charlotte Hornets at 13. So who are you thinking for them? Oh, boy. What do I do here? Uh, the most common names I'm not very in on that I'm seeing mocked a lot, uh, 13 and 15. Uh, so I'm going to go I'm, – I'm going to go a little bit out there with this one, so bear with me. But I'm going to go with uh, Leonard Miller at 13. Um, okay, sort of the mystery man of this class for a lot of people uh i we on upside swings i think last week we talked about him and we, we all dug into his tape a lot um he is like 611 can really handle and pass the ball at his size which you know if you're a guy that's that big and can do those things that right there is instantly intriguing um very good help defender i think uh needs more work on ball uh, the shooting is ridiculous ridiculously inconsistent but i think that there's enough touch there to work with still super young super raw offensively um mostly stemming from the fact that the shooting's so inconsistent but i think there's a lot to work with there um and if you are charlotte uh i don't mind using one of these picks for a big swing yeah admittedly i haven't even gotten to him yet just because of how late we all, you know, it was announced yeah. what a few weeks ago that he's going to be draft eligible. So, um, 
So I'm going to take your word for it on that one. <laughs> um, 14, the Cleveland Cavaliers. It pains me because I still have a guy in my top five who's not there, but and still knows who I'm talking about. But I just I don't know if NBA teams are going to love him as much as I love him. I know Cooper Klein from the Upside Swing podcast loves him. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll get to him when we get to him. But for 14, I think I'm going to go Usman Diang. Um, he was, again, I, I don't want to crap on anybody, but he struggled to start the year in the NBL after coming over from France. Um, he didn't know English, so when his English-speaking coaches were speaking to him, you know, there's a language barrier, so that was difficult for him. I don't believe he played a true road game because he played for the New Zealand Drakers and the borders of New Zealand are closed, so he couldn't travel. So I, I do think he was a victim of circumstance, and, you know, he, he's really brought it on. The shooting was horrific, but that seems to be developing. He's a big, what is he, 6'10", I believe. Um, He could pass. I mean, he could just, I, I love those kind of big point forwards who could shoot and pass. And yeah. he's one of those guys. Cavs desperately need a wing as well. So, yeah, uh, I am this week. I've started really watching a lot of New Zealand Breakers. Um, we're we're going to talk about them soon on Upside Swings, but I am very much leaning towards the first half of the season in terms of how I fall on him. I I understand the intrigue and I get why he's such a hot name right now because, like you're saying, big wings who can dribble, pass, and and shoot theoretically are super valuable um i just personally am not seeing it with them uh, especially the shooting that it's really um we'll, we'll get into it more in depth but i i think that uh the idea of jiang is a lot more appealing than the reality of jiang personally okay and again, I get the concerns, and that's something scouts are going to have. Oh, scouts, post front office personnel, they're going to evaluate which Usman Diang are we getting. Are we getting first half, second half, a mix? Prior to NBL, we'll have to see. And I, I do think the fact that so many guys came from the NBL and have instant success, like um, like Lamelo Ball and Josh Giddy, I, I do think that kind of gives him a notch in his hat. But at the same time, he's not that caliber of player, and he's. You know, you saw him struggle to adjust this year, so I would I would imagine a similar learning curve coming into the NBA. So, okay, you're up again with number 15 for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, I'm going to go... It might be an, considered another swing. I'm going to go with Bryce... Or, uh, sorry, not Bryce. Uh, Blake Wesley uh, for the Hornets. Um, he... Uh, we I just dug into his film last week. Um, he is a super athlete at six. I think he measured at six, five. I haven't really dove into the measurements yet. Um, but he is, um, extremely athletic, uh, really plays both ends of the court very well. He's sort of a wing wingy guard. Um, he has really good handles, uh, can pass the ball, uh, makes audacious passes, but I like, but I like sort of like that because you know he's he's showing that he sees certain things even that if the execution isn't there. Uh, struggled mightily as a shooter, but there's a lot of flashes of just like insane pull up equity. Um, so there's enough for me to buy it uh, to some degree. Uh, and I think defensively he's just uh, had a really strong int- impact for Notre Dame this year. Uh, so I'm going to go with him uh, for the Hornets here at 15. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, Wesley's another one I need to dig deeper into, but he was one of those guys where people, uh, a lot of like scouts and guys on draft Twitter were saying, I wouldn't be shocked if he went back to school next year just to rate, to be a surefire lottery pick. But I mean, at this point, I think he's a surefire first-round pick. And if you have that much guaranteed money looking at you in the face, I'm not going to fault anybody for, you know, going and taking the bag. Yeah, absolutely. So, so number 16, I, I think he's fallen far enough. As I said, um, <laughs> this guy's in my top five. I'm going to take Tari Eason from LSU. He transferred from Cincinnati last year and really developed. Um, I see him with the floor of like a Herb Jones type because he's like a Swiss Army knife and athletic team defender. I, I think the realistic outcome is Jeremy Grant, which is a fine player. But I think the ceiling for him is like, it's not a perfect comp because measurement and position wise, 
But I could see him with how much he draws fouls and how good he is on defense, and he's pretty good at handling. If the shot doesn't even need to fully develop, I could see like a bigger, more athletic Jimmy Butler type. And again, that this is why I have him so high on my board, because I, I'm looking at that potential, and I, I think he's a very polarizing player, and I, I love guys like that. You know, he could do almost anything on defense. Um, he could pass. He could put the ball on the floor. The jump shot has improved from what it was in high school and what it was in Cincinnati, so I, I think the guy works hard. I think he wants to get better, and I, I'm going to buy into that. So at 16, I'm going to take him for the Atlanta Hawks. Nice. Um, yeah, I have – this is about the range where I'd start considering Eason. I know uh, Cooper and, and Bryce are both have him top five along with you, so definitely divisive in that way. Um, personally, I just I, – I struggle something offensively doesn't necessarily click with me with him. Um, but that's okay. I'm, I'm trying to watch a lot of film, but also watch more of him and go back. Uh, so he's somebody I'll have to do sort of like a second wave of, of film diving into. Um, but let's see number 17 for the Rockets. Uh, <laughs> I can hear Cooper right now just screaming at me to take Kendall Brown. Uh, and I know he's probably pissed that Tari Eason didn't fall. Uh, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Jalen Williams here um, okay. for the Rockets. You mentioned earlier about their need of a point guard, and I somewhat agree. Uh, I really like Kevin Porter Jr. I just don't think he is necessarily the guy that you want initiating everything for your team and setting everybody else up. I think Jalen Williams has the potential to be able to do that. Um, now I think he. I, I really like what I see from Jalen Williams and I struggle to see exactly like pinpoint what he is in the NBA. If he's a, like a wing or of a starting point guard, he has the handles to do it. One of the best passers in this class, I would say as well. Um, so having a size, a sizable backcourt with him and uh, him and Jalen green, both guys are, you know, above six, five, six, six, probably. Um, as your starting backcourt would be pretty impressive, uh, especially when you just measured with like a plus 10 wingspan today. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah Jalen Williams, again, I, I'm not, I haven't totally dug in yet, but I, I know I, I was talking about Sohan possibly getting into the top five. I could see Jalen Williams getting as high as a lottery. I mean, there's so much buzz, as you said, plus 10 wingspan, which is insane. I mean, I, I honestly don't remember ever seeing a guy with that big of um, a variation of a wingspan. So, and a, a lot of people are skeptical because it reminds me of like Kessler Edwards last year where sure he could do this, he could do that, but he played a Pepperdine. Competition wasn't the greatest. But he played, um, Jalen Williams played at Santa Clara, which is in the same um, conference as Gonzaga. And we're taking Chet Holmgren top two. So we'll, in here, we're taking him number one. So I don't really let that competition um, bother me. The West Coast Conference actually was pretty good this year, better mm -hmm. than it typically is, aside from Gonzaga, but even including Gonzaga. But yeah, so that's definitely somebody I envision um, making their way potentially inside the lottery. Yeah, uh, I could see it happening too. So, okay, number 18, we have the Chicago Bulls. And the Bulls could go a few directions. I know they're worried about... Lonzo Ball's knees all of a sudden. They do have Ayo DeSumo as insurance. Zach Levine is a free agent. He's getting knee surgery on the knee towards ACL long, I believe. So it makes me think, okay, take a guard. But I don't know. I wasn't impressed with Nikola Vucevic's play this year. He's going to be um, an unrestricted free agent at the end of next year. So let me get the guy with tied for the longest standing reach in combine history, and that's Mark Williams from Duke. I I'm not the biggest fan of him because he just seems so stiff in his movements that I don't know how switchable he's going to be, but I think he's going to be a monster in drop coverage. The Bulls, I mean, they were okay defensively, but you pair him with some perimeter defenders like Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso. You let Patrick Williams develop another year. I think all of a sudden, you know, Vucevic you, becomes expendable. Williams could be the starter by his... I suppose a sophomore year after Vucevic walks. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of Bulls fans are going to be very happy with this selection. 
uh, if it were to especially happen on draft night. Um, he is exactly. I'm not. I'm not even the hugest Mark Williams fan, to be honest. I'll preface by saying that uh, I have later in my first round, but I think that he provides the exact sort of skill set that they need from a big that they were missing all year. Uh, they don't really have a consistent rim protector or rim deterrent, even. And I think Mark Williams can be that, uh, even if he has his simplicities or deficiencies in other areas. Uh, that's something I feel very comfortable that will translate to the NBA is that he can uh, be some, you know, a, a paint protector. Um, so I, the value for me, it's tough for me to say that I like this pick because where I have him on my board doesn't reflect that. But at the same time, this is sort of the ideal fit for Mark Williams. So I get it from that perspective. Yeah, and as you said, it, it, he definitely fits a need there. So I, I, I am a big proponent of taking best player available, but at this point, 18th in the draft, you're trying to take the next step to tr- at least attempt to become a championship contender. I don't think the Bulls are even close to that. They have the third worst record in the NBA post-All-Star break. But, you know, if, if you have a team need outside a lottery, go for it. So, okay, Number 19, who are you taking with the Minnesota Timberwolves? Mm. <laughs> uh, well, after I just um, said that, you know, guys that are lower on my board, I like taking best play available. It is for me, like if it's in the same tier and it's like close enough, I, I can just, that's how I justify it to myself. So I'm going to go with EJ Liddell here at 19 for the Timberwolves. Okay. They need a four. Yeah, they. Oh, I really like Jared Vanderbilt like a lot. I think he should be in consideration for an all-defensive team this year. But um, I think EJ gives them what they need from a four in the sense that they need a floor spacer at times uh, who can also defend. Um, and I think they don't necessarily have that. Uh, Vanderbilt is awesome. Um, McDaniels is developing. Um, and I think if they're trying to make build upon what they did last year um, or, or this season, excuse me, I, I think EJ can really help them. Um, I really buy his shooting at the next level. I think he's going to be um, an awesome catch and shoot type guy um, and being able to be like a help side rim protector for Carl Anthony Towns is uh, also a bonus when you can play both of them together. Um, not the most dynamic offensive player, Um or defensive, really, but he does things very well, even if it's simplistic, and I think both those things bode well for the Timberwolves. Yeah, and I think he's a pretty awesome fit there as well, which obviously, is, if you're getting the best player available and he fits a need, that's a home run in my book. So, okay, we have number 20, the San Antonio Spurs. I actually released a first-round mock draft on both of my Twitters before pre-lottery. And then obviously I'm doing um, an article for Sports Ethos where I'm doing my entire mock. But I actually had this guy good in the Spurs at nine and he's still there at 20. So I'm going to go for it. It's Malachi Branham. Um, decent shot creator. Good shot maker. Defends well. Little loose handle, but still pretty good. Great shooter off the dribble. Um, he shot 50-40-80, so he's pretty efficient as a freshman in the Power 5 conference. So I, the Spurs have been taking, I don't want to say guys like this because he's not perfect to like a Devin Vassell or a Josh Primo, but it, they Lonnie Walker, I, they, they've definitely like wings. And I, I think Branham is not only the best player available, but as I said, if you're going to get best available and you're going to um, fit a need, that's a home run. Yeah, um, this is about where I have Branham, uh, right around this range. I know there's some people that have him like top eight, top six. Uh, I just can't quite get there. Um, uh, last week, again, I, I sort of did a really deep dive into him and watched a lot of his games. Um, I He is a ridiculously efficient shooter. Um, I have questions about how often he can get his own shot in the NBA um, the defense was really poor to me, but the the offensive equity and a guy that is his age, you're betting a lot on the efficiency 
and building upon that. And he's not like a bad ball handler or anything. So um, there's a lot to like with how he's with his scoring. It's just a matter for me of uh, how he scores at the next level consistently. Yeah. And again, you mentioned the defense not being ideal right now, but I I looked at some of his high school tape, admittedly not much, but it seems like he was like the defender at the point of attack more often than not. And I mean, of course he's, he's most likely the best player on his high school team because you know, he's going to be an NBA player, but Ohio state didn't do that with him. So I I do think there's some defensive potential that's on taps. And yeah, so, so that's why, you know, I like him in general. and like him here. Yeah, that's totally fair. So, okay. Number 21, you're up with the Denver Nuggets. Oh, this is tough for me. There's two guys that are really popping out. Uh, I'm just going to go best player available uh, and split the difference, I guess. I'm going to go Kendall Brown here. Um, I, uh, I think Kendall Brown is... Uh, for me, the hardest evaluation in this class, I really have a difficult time judging where his, what area I want to take him. Um, But I think that the passing is fantastic. Uh, Even if it didn't show up statistically a lot, I think a lot of the passes thrown uh, are perfect placement velocity and and delivery on them. Um, I think he has the tools to be a really good defender, despite the fact that he wasn't in Baylor. Um, uh, it was more centered, uh, in a way that Jeremy Sohan would shine a lot more, uh, as opposed to Kendall. Um, I think he's ridiculously athletic as well, uh, which you can use to cut. Uh, the biggest thing is the shooting. Um, but I think Denver is hopefully okay with that because they have a fair amount of it. Um, and if you have Kendall and Jokic, uh, on the court together. That's a lot of fun passes being thrown. I was hoping for that reason that you're going to take Nikola Jovic. So not only for the play on, <laughs> on the names, but you know, Jovic, he's similar to um, Usman Diang where, you know, I, I like those guys who could pass you the big wings who could pass you and dribble. So I, I do think that he would be a fit in Denver as well. Um, number 22, the Memphis Grizzlies. I, Memphis could go multiple ways because Memphis has not only multiple picks, but I, I like what they do where they know how deep they are, so they're willing to take a project like they did with Zaya Williams, who ended up being way better than I anticipated his rookie year. Um, I, I'm between a guy you could contribute now and a developmental project. Let me get Bryce McGowan's nice. um, big shooter. Wasn't great his freshman year, but... He could create a little bit for size. I believe he's what six eight six nine. Um, yeah, so I, I think Kyle Anderson's free agent. He could eventually be that replacement. Obviously, I'm not comparing them as players; they're completely different. But I'm just saying, as like that backup four or the four alongside Jaron Jackson, the small ball lineup. I could see him playing up that position, and you know, providing them with that versatility. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I have. Uh, McGowan's a bit higher than this, closer to to lottery. Um, I think this is a really good value play, and uh, just because the Grizzlies are really smart and have a really good uh, scouting department, I think that um, you know he can develop into a really valuable piece for them, um, especially if, uh, like we're seeing, if uh, someone like Jaw goes down. Uh, or you have you can do things with him and Bain, um, just more <laughs> as if they need more shooting guards. Um, but it's just a different. Uh, it sounds weird, but he's a different shooting guard than anything they have still. So as as like a go to type scoring guy. Um, so I really like McGowan's, and I think that uh, this is a, a a good pick, a good value pick. Okay, and again. Memphis has a second pick, so if you want to take a project in McGowan's now, then take a guy who could just add to your depth and contribute next year right away. Or vice versa, if you want to take the more proven player now at 22 and take the swing on 29. But it's a good problem to have for Memphis. Um, 23, you're up with the Brooklyn Nets. 
who can defer to the Philadelphia 76ers. I think they will because I don't do 2023 seems to be a better class. And you know, the Nets are probably banking on the James Harden saga ending poorly and this pick being higher, but let's go with the Nets for now until they defer it. So who do you have the um, Nets taking at 23? Yeah. Um, you made it really easy for me. Um, so thank you for taking McGowan's in the last pick. Uh, Cause I was going to have a tough time picking between two guys. I'm going to take Marjan Bochamp here. Um, the other Ignite player, I thought that he um, he's a really, for me, safe bet to be a positive rotation player in the NBA. Um, he is a really solid defender, I think, um, especially as a team defender. Uh, underrated as a passer, can cut really well, has pull-up equity, especially from the mid-range. Um, I just think he's uh, a really easy bet to slide into the wing and give you positive minutes when he's on the court. Um, which is something that the Nets don't really have an abundance of uh, outside of their top guys. Yeah, and, you know, he's really shown himself in G. I was at the Delaware Bluecoats and the um, G League Ignite game. Yeah, the, I remember seeing that. Yeah, the Bluecoats stomped on them, but it wasn't the best game from Dyson Daniels, but Bochamp played absolutely awesome. I was like, I need to definitely dig more film on this guy. And, you know, he's a guy who came from Juco prior, so... He's really established himself. So he's 21 years old, but Ignite's definitely, you know, rehabilitated his value and just about made him a solidified first round pick. So, yeah, for sure. okay, number 24, the Milwaukee Bucks. There's a few directions we can go. Um, I want to take, yeah, I'm going to take Okay Agbaji. Um, can contribute now. Obviously, the Bucks have championship aspirations. I'm not the Biggest fan. Um, I know some people have him in the lottery, but they've definitely shown that they need wing help. Grayson Allen wasn't a disaster, but definitely didn't show up in some of those Celtics games. And it was because one Middleton was out, they didn't really have the wing depth to compensate for it. They traded DiVincenzo for Ibaka, who didn't even play for them in the playoffs. So uh, I just think they need the wing help. So that's why I defer to the best wing on my board. And that's Ogbaji. Yeah. Um, I am not a huge Igbaji fan. Um, I do think that he uh, is a very safe bet to shoot very well at the next level, um, and the Bucks could uh, really use that uh, to you know have a guy like that. You slide in, especially with Middleton being out. Um, you're seeing the impact that he's that he had. Um, so uh, I get it from that perspective. Uh, personally, just not a huge Igbaji fan, but. Um, come draft night, you know, he'll he'll even go much higher than this, probably. I agree with that. And again, the shooting is a pretty good bet to, you know, replicate in the NBA. And next to Giannis, that's important. So, okay, number 25, we have the San Antonio Spurs again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to take a full-on swing here. Um, and this is probably my favorite, just like, uh, out there swing in this draft. I'm going to go with the John Butler. Um, okay. Yeah, he is uh, He's wild to watch. I don't know if you've been able to watch him yet. Uh, if you haven't, he's just a lot of fun. Um, he's seven, I think he measured at 7'1 today. Um, and, and 174 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Name is Kevin Dupama. Yeah, we, uh, we're talking about a guy who has like thinner measurements probably than Chet Holmgren. Um, he can really shoot the ball uh, at his size, uh, moves like like a wing. It's really crazy to watch. Uh, can handle a little bit and uh, is, a, in my opinion, a pretty strong rim protector. Um, and you pair that with the mobility defensively, I think that he becomes a lot more of an intrigue than a liability, uh, even at his size. Um, there's a long way to go in a lot of different areas, uh, especially with just more of the processing type stuff. But um, I think he's my, one of my favorite bets in this class as just a, uh, a pure upside swing. Excuse the pun. Yeah. Again, admittedly haven't watched much. I, I'm familiar. I've seen clips. I watched a lot of seekings throughout the year, but he's not a guy I've done. I've dug deep into, but yeah, I'm going to be interested to see, you know, go back to school, stay in the draft. And 
I mean, if you have him in the first round and he's getting first round promise, I, I can guarantee you he's going to stay in the draft. So he was invited to the combine. So clearly teams are semi-interested. And yeah, I'd like that for San Antonio because he could be that rim protector that Jacopo's not a bad rim protector, but like Butler could be elite, I feel like. So Yeah, uh Jakob's become like one of the better defenders yeah. in the NBA, I think. But I think uh having Butler um, you know, hopefully learn underneath him and uh be somebody that can hopefully take a lot of aspects from from Jakob's game and apply it to his own uh as sort of what you're you're hoping for long term. Okay, so then we have number twenty six, the Dallas Mavericks. At this point, give me the best player on my board. I'm going to take Nikola Jovic. Um, the Mavs actually, I'm not even saying this because they have Luka, but they're known for having one of the better international scouting departments in the league. So I'm sure they're very in on Jovic. And again, I'm in on big fo- wings, forwards that could pass dribble and shoots. Jovic, I mean, maybe he can shoot on if the shot's going to translate, but it definitely looked better this year, and it seems like it's definitely improved. So, I mean, Dallas just needs guys around Luka. And I think he could be one of those guys. Yeah. Um, honestly, I just, right before actually we started recording, downloaded uh, like seven or eight games of his office of synergy and I haven't been able to really watch him yet. So um, hopefully diving into him uh, tonight or tomorrow, but I uh, can't really give too many thoughts on him at this point. Okay. So then number 27, the Miami Heat. Yeah, I'm torn. I have these guys like back to back on my board, and they're both in my lottery, so they fall in quite a bit. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go uh, with Terquavion Smith here. Okay. Um, I really like Terquavion. I have him 11th on my own board. Um, he is a nuclear pull up shooter and has ridiculous handles, and that combination is just so enticing to me. Um, <clears throat> I think that. If anybody's going to really um, bring out the uh, poor poor shot selection from his game uh, and sort of harness in the um, craziness that's within his game, uh, it's going to be Miami. And I think if a team can successfully do that, uh, you're really looking at somebody that can be a, a super, super high value piece for your, your team. Uh, and especially, um, with, you know, Lowry's getting a little bit older, obviously they're in red now mode, but, um, hopefully you're down the line to Cravion could be like a real asset for them. Yeah. And I, I'd like to Cravion. Um, I think he's a, he's a good shot creator. So that that's important for somebody his size, but I just remember like last year, everyone was goo goo gaga over Shuri Cooper. And then he ended up falling at 48 to the Hawks and getting on a two-way because of his size. Now, for me this year, that's Kennedy Chandler. But, I mean, I wouldn't blame anybody for saying the same thing about Tokavi and Smith's size. But I I, I don't know. I just I see Sharif Cooper fall, so it totally wouldn't shock me to see the same thing happen to him. Yeah, uh, and there's you know a chance that he does, but... Uh, I, I just think that the that combination doesn't come around too often when you have a guy that has the handles and the the shot creation and in some of the pull up shooting that he does. So uh, it's just a bet that I, I like probably too much, but um, I like it for Miami here too. Okay, since you took a swing on Butler, let me take a swing on Josh Minus from Memphis. For the Golden State Warriors of 28. Um, he's, I think, very switchable defensively. And, you know, that's Golden State's whole system, playing small ball. They have so many wings right now with the emergence of Paul, Clay Thompson, Wiggins, Kaminga, Moody. I just, again, you can't have enough wings. But I, I could see my not playing that small ball five for them the same way they're kind of deploying Kaminga already. So, yeah, um, I like Minot quite a bit, honestly. And like you said, he can't have enough wings. I He played more guard in high school um, and was forced kind of more into a bigger big slash wing role in um, Memphis. Uh, I don't think it was the ideal context for him. Uh, I think that he 
you're you're betting a lot on the shot developing, which um, I think there's hope that it can get to like league average. Uh, he's a really plus passer for me. Um, he processes very well to me. He's very decisive with the ball in his hands. Uh, good defender, like you said. So there's a lot of things there that make me uh, like Josh might not, especially in this sort of area. Okay, number 20. And again, Warriors have so much depth, they could kind of take a developmental project, which I think mine not is, and then, you know, see, see what they get two, three years down the line. So number 29, we have the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to finish out my lottery here because I can't, I can't leave one guy in my lottery uh, throughout this whole exercise. It would be against my religion. Um, I'm going to take Jan Montero here for the Grizzlies. Uh, I know uh, you just took a guard previously for them, but um, I uh, have been a huge fan of Montero for the past, uh, feels like a couple years now. Um, he, I think, is a lot more – he's a lot less um, scary than the OTE film made him out to be as a pick. Uh, I think that he is a fantastic passer, um, somebody that has real pull-up equity, um, decent defender despite his size. Um, I think he's got very quick hands and uh, can position himself fairly well for whatever that's worth at his size. But uh, I really like Gian Montero, and he's going to end up in my lottery probably. Uh, and I just think that it's too much value for me personally to to leave on the board here. And not to mention Tyus Jones is a free agent. I think he ends up staying because I think he's outplayed the mid-level exception. So there's only a few cast-based teams that could really beat what the Grizzlies have with his bird rights. But, you know, the Grizzlies are cast-based teams. So if they need the salary to sign a bigger fish, then, you know, maybe they let him walk in Montero's at replacements. So number 30, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who already gave Jabari Smith Jr. and Keegan Murray. <sighs> <laughs> Let me give them another big forward in Patrick Baldwin Jr. Um, Baldwin was, I, I would say he was a projected top 10 pick going into the year. Went to play for his dad at um, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee rather than like a Duke or a Blue Blood school like that. And as a result, he, he didn't play with any resemblance to point guard. I was watching his film, the point guards are turning the ball over every possession. So he, he couldn't really thrive in, you know, the Horizon Conference. So I think OKC will find value in that. Say, okay, this dude is six foot nine. He's solid help defender, good shooter, great size with ball skills, and we believe in the shooting stroke at thirty. It's great value. So again, yeah, OKC, just taking the best guy. Yeah, I uh, I think I've only I watched like two of his high school games, and then I followed him throughout FIBA. Uh, I haven't really watched any of his college game quite yet uh i have a long a lot of films still left to watch uh, especially this late in this cycle it's too much but um i think that he uh the theory of him being this shooter and um you know it fits so well in what you and i have already done in this mock um i i love my guy roby um so i'm would be sad to see him squeeze out of the rotation a bit but uh i think that uh having three six ten forwards that can shoot uh makes a lot of sense and um yeah it's uh hopefully uh pbj is better than what he showed you know at uh, milwaukee this year but um even if it doesn't pan out it's at pick 30 and you have two other guys that do in theory exactly what you can do from a shooting perspective so um yeah i uh I'm I'm okay with that pick based upon what I have seen, uh, even though I haven't seen any college tape. So, yeah, and again, when you have 17 picks in seven years in the first round, <laughs> you can afford to take a swing on a guy like him. Yeah, good chance uh, at least one of these picks gets moved draft night. Yeah. So okay, this concludes this episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Bird Rights Pod. Um, Stone, anything you want to promote? Where can people find you? Yeah, um, you can follow me at report underscore court on Twitter. Basically, all the draft content that I'll be doing up until the draft night and maybe a little bit after will be uh, posted there. 
Uh, I co-host the Upside Swings podcast at Upside Swings on Twitter, and they can be found wherever podcasts are found. Uh, we just do uh, prospect deep dives, and we're doing our 30 teams in 30 days series that we do annually with uh, a bunch of um, guests coming on that cover each team, and we sort of dive into what can be addressed in the draft with them and how their team looks moving forward. Um, so that's always a lot of fun. And we have a lot of other uh, episodes in the works so there's a ton of content coming out for us over the next uh, few weeks. Same thing for me, guys. Um, I'm not going to be podcasting as much, but I am going to be writing for the site. I am doing my sixth pod mock offseason. As I said, projecting every single team's 15-man roster going into next year, signing free agents everywhere to each team based on cap space resources, making trades, incorporating my mock draft. So, you know, t- you get an idea for team needs when you hit free agency at that point. Um, I'm also going to be doing a three-part article on the um, an NBA mock draft where I'm going to be incorporating that mock offseason. I don't want to spoil too much, but you guys can be on the lookout for that. And we will talk to you guys next episode. Thanks for listening.